This is Broadcast, Talking TV, recorded at Maple Street Studios. Hello and welcome to the programme, I'm Jake Cantor. Coming up this week, we'll unpick Tony Hall's vision for the BBC and ponder the corporation's plans for daytime. And it's not just Auntie that's keeping us busy, also on the agenda will be Netflix's move for Charlie Brooker's Black Mirror. And finally, we'll preview Channel 4's The Brits Battling ISIS and Singing in the Rainforest on UK TV's Watch. That's all coming up on Talking TV from Broadcast. Uh, we're back at Maple Street Studios, and with me is broadcast features editor Robin Parker and Stephen D. Wright, producer and writer par excellence. Thank you. Uh, you're full of the joys of spring. Always, I mean. yeah. I'm in post-Edinburgh kind of hangover still. Yeah, so rumour has it you were there. I was there for the first time in 13 years. Bitterly regret it. Do you regret the Big Brother house? I, I Part of me regrets it for the rest of my life. Part of me is insanely proud I did it. Um, but no, it, the, was, the, it was good viewing. Uh, well, I'm, I'm I'm happy to serve, basically. I mean, you know, I did it for the <laughs> entertainment TV gold. industry. Uh, it was no, it was it was it was so much more dramatic to do than it was than people saw it. I mean, it was de- very much a PG just for laughs. We're all having a great time, but actually, the house is psychological torture. It doesn't matter how kind of smiley and happy it looked on stage in Edinburgh. It was really hard to do. It was really there was nothing tough. PG about it though. It was the most sweary session I've ever seen at. Yeah, but we, what, the, what you didn't see, what's on the edit room, the, the, the cutting room floor, is the kind of the breakdowns, the racism. I don't think I don't think we slept with each other, but I, 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 maybe who maybe knows? It happens. I shared a room with eight other people. You know, <laughs> would you do it again? No, never. Okay, never ever. Once in ever. a lifetime. Once in a lifetime. Yeah. How are you doing, Robin? I'm good. Been good a little you? while since you've been on. Yes, indeed. I missed Edinburgh this year. The first one I've missed. In many a year. But, yeah, what uh, was it like looking from afar? It must be... Uh, I was I was in deepest Cornwall with no internet or even 3G reception, <laughs> so I was perfectly relieved. happy. Okay, good. Let's crack on with some news. And only one place to start this week, and that's in the embrace of Auntie B. But, uh, yes, Director General Tony Hall stuffed a room full of industry grandees at the Science Museum for what was billed as a landmark speech on the BBC's future. Hall made a positive case for the BBC as the cornerstone of the UK creative industries and unveiled a £150 million package of proposals. These included opening up iPlayer to rivals and launching a kids' version of the VOD service, expanding the BBC's news into North Korea and Russia, as well as ensuring the corporation does more than ever to partner with iconic British cultural institutions. But there was some grit in the oyster too – Hall made clear that the BBC will need to find £700 million of savings a year by 2022 as it grapples with its new funding deal. He said this means the BBC will inevitably have to either close or reduce some services. But enough from me, here's the man himself. We all want a simpler, more effective organisation where as much money as possible goes on the programmes and the services. But we also want a BBC which will pioneer, will innovate and will adapt to the new challenges we face whilst holding on to the core values of the BBC, values that we all hold dear. Our new open BBC will be a true partner with other organisations. It will also strike a new relationship with audiences that will allow them to do so much more. Our new open BBC will inform, educate, entertain and enable. The innovations we've proposed today are the start of a new model for the BBC. The BBC as an open platform for British creativity. We've always sought to bring the best to everyone. Now we will have the opportunity to bring the best from everyone, with everyone too. 
an open BBC that uses technology as never before to give our audiences even more. An open BBC that works with creative organisations, partners, others in the media to provide a platform for their work so more people can enjoy it. An open BBC that is truly seen as a partner. An open BBC where people can learn from cradle to grave and explore new ideas. OK, so one of uh, Hall's buzz phrases was excellence without arrogance. Does that sound about right, do you think? I don't know. I, I think the idea of a expansionist news service to North Korea is incredibly arrogant. I didn't really realise that that was what the licence fee went to. It was odd because he several times during the speech said, this is not an expansionist BBC. I know, and then it's hard to escape that conclusion. a horrendously weird, uncalled for North Korean news service. It's like, what? It's, you know, it's, it, that's handing something to the BBC's critics as a you know a stick to beat them with. It seems. I know. Like, I mean, maybe it's one of those kind of it's a false flag or something. To yeah. you know, we'll drop that one in a couple of years and say BBC Four. I mean, the thing about this is, what are they going to cut? You know, all this kind of guff about open for everyone. BBC's about excellence. It's always been about excellence. There's nothing new in that message, except for the fact that they're going to do a cradle to grave children's vod, whatever it is. Why? I play. You know, why? Who cares? Who's asking for that? Parents aren't asking for it, and the North Koreans aren't asking for it. What we're asking for, viewers in Britain, is better telly and good product. That's basically all we're interested in. And it just smacks of a bit of everything and just a little bit of kind of, you know, we might kind of cancel BBC4 in the next year or something. Or some, I mean, that's what worries me. What are they, what are they going to cut? So two things on the North Korea stuff, and indeed Russia as well. Uh, they're saying... That the well, they're going to appeal to the government to provide funding for those services, and therefore it won't be coming directly out of the license fee. The other thing is that John Whittingdale was in front of the Culture Select Committee this week and appeared to welcome it. So, uh, it, well, maybe yeah, it's a political it's thing. A, it, it, well, it must be. I mean, it feels like a of all the things you could appeal for money for, you'd think there'd be more core things that you could make your case for. That's what. So, mm. I think it must be a political move rather than an essential part of what the BBC does. Yeah. But the other thing about the, the kids thing is also quite confusing because that isn't necessarily what you expect from a broadcasting company to do a kind of fantastic children's thing. I thought we already had about five kids' programmes and CBBC and all the rest of it, which are incredibly successful. Kids watch them, they love them, etc. What do we need more for? I think so this is iPlayer. You're a, you're a well, parent, there's an argument. I think there's an argument for personalization of iPlayer in a safe way but that's not a huge leap from what iPlayer already does you just mm. you should just be creating you know a controlled part of it for, for But for is this going to cost money that that could be you know going to, to places like BBC4 I keep saying BBC4 I don't know if that is going to be for the chop but it certainly seems well, it's the, the it's most the, vulnerable it's you know. at the heart of all this speculation is mm. BBC4 I mean I love BBC4 I absolutely love it I think it's one of the best things about the BBC channels as is BBC3 and this idea that you can just scrap these extra channels and just get rid of them, it always seems to me the fundamental flaw. They, those experiments a few years ago to create new, new channels are the things that work really well. The viewers love them. The, the programmes are brilliant. The breadth, the variety of things, you know, things on BBC4 you know, you can't see anywhere else. Maybe Sky Arts. But it, it's not something that should be for the chop automatically and certainly not for, for, for political machinations that nobody particularly wants. I mean, what they're doing more of on BBC iPlayer is stuff of appeal to BBC4 viewers, which is just pure curated archive. Mm. And I wonder whether maybe the factual side of BBC4 is going to be going down more that route. Well, Sky like, Arts... Because that's, really, that's really cheap and you can put it online I mean, and people can access it. Sky Arts have want. done that. They recently announced a kind of a total rehaul where basically they were going to sort of boil the channel down. But on the on the plus side, you were going to get 8,000 hours mm. of, of 
archive, searchable archive you could download, etc. And so maybe they're mm. going to follow that kind of plan. But I don't think they played well in PR terms. I don't think I don't think it's very clear that's what they're doing to the average punter who just thought, well, we're losing a channel. That's what worries the me about this. The message is confused. Yeah. If, if you're an average Joe on the street and you're following the BBC, not necessarily very closely, and you read a headline that says BBC Three is closing, and at the same time the corporation is pushing into North Korea, mm. those messages can very, yeah. would be very confusing. And that's what I he think. didn't address, I think, in that in that in that speech. Well, you know, it was. I don't think he mentioned BBC context. Three at all, actually, which no. was interesting in itself, uh, given that uh, at the heart of all of this is uh, Tony Hall trying to make the BBC, as he says, internet fit. Mm. You know, if they are, as they are proceeding with this, with this, that should be the benchmark for what they're doing. Reading they between the lines, I think the smart money here would potentially be on BBC News closing and the children's channels, because... One of the aims is to set up this new online service for BBC News called BBC News Stream. And Tony said that they're going to move from rolling news to streaming news. So you have at the heart of it a sort of online proposition, uh, which then puts the news channel uh, potentially, you know, you might see it die a slow death. Mm. And then this iPlay, which is the mm. children's service, I think that, may I think, become the front door to, I think to children's. The public isn't ready, anywhere near ready for the closing of children's channels, I think. Yes, kids are watching on demand and iPlay and stuff, but but as the sort of the celebrations of CBBC this week have, have mm. shown, you know, there is a live element, there's a scheduling element, there's a trust to that, and people aren't ready to switch away from that, I don't think, and that's many years down the line. Don't put Gordon the Gopher online. Keep him alive. He's he online. He though, isn't he? Isn't he? Oh God! Well, I might as well kill myself already. <laughs> He's been revived online. Oh, in a, mo- in a mockumentary type, oh, right. yes. star kind of uh, format. Yeah. Oh, well, that's, so, our, that's all of our futures. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, our own mockumentaries. Your are your children? How are they watching the majority of their television? Uh, PVR and iPlayer or YouTube. So do they I need? Mean, do they need the channels? Well. What a terrible parent. I know. I know. It's, it's Walter Paul Simpsons. I'm a terrible parent. Um, well, maybe the BBC's right then. Maybe the BBC. I mean, <laughs> maybe they're right. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I don't know circle. what I'm talking about. After okay. All that, here's so. something maybe a little more sinister is this was buried in the report that was published this week. Um, the BBC is going to find £100 million worth of scheduling efficiencies. Oh, I saw, scheduling mix efficiencies. Yes, I saw scheduling programme cuts. Yes. I mean, yeah. what? Better repeats. Is that what we're talking about? Now, this, it sounds like code for cuts. It sounds like code for cuts. The BBC is insisting this week that that means simply reprioritising spending. Uh, and the example they gave is moving, well, taking BBC Two daytime and putting some of that money into BBC One and, and removing daytime from BBC Two. But that yeah. is a cut, is yes. it not? Yes. Yeah. I mean, it, it, you know, I don't, know who, I don't know who gains from that. The viewer certainly doesn't. You know, more repeats are always bad news. Better repeats... Mm, who knows? I mean, I don't know what how you sort of quantify that or, or qualify it. It's it's a, it's a slightly insidious term. It's a it's it's full of obfuscation, isn't it? I mean, it? we were discussing this in, in the meeting at broadcast the other day when we were trying to work out how to analyse this. It does. I think cuts is the only word for it, really, isn't it? It's looking at underperforming areas of the schedule, stripping those back, and putting money into the bits that that do perform. That's a well and good up to a point. But when you've already lost one channel and potentially there's another one that could be on the block in a few years where where are the spaces to cut well as i guess we'll, we'll have north to watch Cor- the space as long as those north koreans are as happy. long as they're happy and the russians yeah yeah i mean putin isn't going to invade us because of this i mean that's that's the best <laughs> bit of news <laughs> 
Okay, sticking with content, BBC daytime controller Dan McGulpin set out his strategy for the first time this week. Uh, Gone are shows including Don't Get Done, Get Dom, as he aims to up the ambition and spectacle of daytime. Instead, he wants more event TV, like Big Blue Live spin-off Big Blue UK. Uh, There's also an ambition to bring more primetime sensibilities to daytime entertainment by making quizzes more about the chemistry between those on screen rather than the numbers on the scoreboard. Does that sound like a sensible solution? Yes, definitely. <laughs> I, I thought this was this, this sounded particularly positive. Getting rid of some of the old stages, you know, which are literally just there forever, and putting on new new content is always a, a good message uh, for the viewers and for independent producers. You know, he seems to want to have new stuff on during daytime. Now, you know, if you're ever off sick and you watch daytime TV, I mean, you know, three hours in, you're ready to kill yourself. And you basically switch over to Loose Women and, you know, whatever on ITV. Do you not just watch things on iPlayer you want to watch? Oh, for goodness sake. iPlayer, <laughs> whatever. Newfangled nonsense. Um, but no, I mean, this message of, of we want new stuff, we want to bring in entertainment values, et cetera, et cetera, is incredibly uh, welcoming, I think, you know. It shows that daytime is sort of open for business. And maybe some of this scheduling mix efficiencies is, is about this sort of, you know, event TV and make, making peak time stuff have a daytime companion or whatever it might be because mm. you know the production is already there you can bolt, you can bolt on stuff it's it's got a, another audience it's got a longer life this way i mean it's not I, that I think... much that you can do in, you know i mean it sounds that's the sort of thing that sounds perfect on paper but big blue live was a complete sort of one-off yeah. anomaly you know yes they're in america yes they're watching wales etc but there aren't that many shows you can then say let's do the next morning because most times the production crew are sleeping do you know what i mean it's not like they're waiting for that to do their daytime show it's like but the 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 ambition is mm. is what's yeah I think I think rather than going straight from a from you know sort of the breakfast shows into the property formats you have something with a bit more substance there because you know flexible working working from home whatever it might be people you know there's there's a very responsive audience there who want more stimulating stuff and I think if they can provide, there are other established brands they could build around things like Springwatch and Stargazing Live mm. I mean you could. You could see daytime spin-offs mm. of those shows potentially, couldn't Not you? Stargazing Live, I don't think, because Stargazing Live in the daytime. Well, unless it's in stars. another part of the world. Unless it's in another part of the world. <laughs> yeah, in yeah. Korea. Maybe. But can daytime budgets stretch to Korea? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the North. This is where the North Korean thing yeah, comes in. Uh, North Korea Live. I'd watch that in the daytime. <laughs> um, a bit of slow TV, perhaps. But no, I mean the, the thing that, that you know, this guy has come in from scheduling. He knows his stuff. He knows what's what's needed. You know, I think it's quite exciting. I really do. I think potentially it, daytime could be a, a really uh, juicy sort of prize for producers to pitch for. And the fact that he wants entertainment values is really interesting. What about where well, on that point? Can daytime quizzes sustain oh, God, the yeah. sort of banter Listen, that he's after? I mean, that's what pointless is based on. Uh, uh, lots yeah. and lots of shows that have run at daytime have then been put on in prime time. That's happened historically many times. And it happens in radio, BBC Radio as well. Of course. I mean, you know, the, this idea that during the day we want kind of serious plodding news or whatever, and then at night time we all want to relax is complete rubbish. You know, you want entertain Entertainment is, is the key to everything. Entertaining content is absolutely the key. And so the idea that sort of panel show kind of badinage and banter can be sort of transplanted into daytime, absolutely, completely. I mean, that is what, you know, This Morning and Loose Women and, and Judge Grinder and what of these places, all of these people, Judge Grinder. Judge Grinder. That was a, that was <laughs> a Freudian... The, that's, the, that's the late night sorry, stuff. That, 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 was, that is a late night format. Sorry, actually. Uh, Judge Grinder. Copy, copy, copyright that now. They are fun shows. They're about entertainment 
Whereas the, sometimes the BBC daytime can be a little bit about lock your, you know, lock your belongings away. There's a bad man outside. You know what I mean? It, it sometimes feels a bit worthy on the BBC and more fun on ITV. Or, or get your belongings out and flog them. Well, yeah, yeah, exactly. It's one of the two. Yeah, I'm not quite sure that uh, a daytime quiz about antiques is going to get people too excited. So this is for what it's worth with Fern Britain. It feels like that could have happened at any, at any point on BBC or ITV in the last 20 years. Yes, uh, I think that's probably a fair point. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't feel so new, but the message sounds new, but the actual commission sounds a bit old. OK, away from the BBC and on to our commission of the fortnight. Uh, reports this week that Netflix is set to do a deal with Charlie Brooker for the next series of Black Mirror. You're a fan, aren't you, Robin? Yes, and, and I think this makes sense. It's a... Uh, it, to realise this show properly, it's cost, it costs a bit of money, and Channel 4 obviously do put putting quite a lot of uh, money into their drama at the moment, but this ha- this has quite a broad transatlantic appeal. If the alternative is an American remake, then this is a better thing. But are they talking about... Because Black Mirror, to me, is little bespoke one-offs under a sort of blanket title or whatever. You know, each one is a cleverly crafted jewel of telly. Mm. My thought when I read this was, are they then going to say, let's have 15 episodes that is, of that, is, that, that one is danger, show? Yeah. And that's where I think, oh my God, because that will kill... Um, I mean, that would only work if you've got a stable of strong writers essentially doing short stories. Um, mm. But if, if 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 the weight of this is on Charlie... And Brooker does them all himself, so it's... Yeah, I think, yeah, that... Jesse Armstrong did one, and I know when they first did it, there were a number of other writers, including Charlie Higson, pitching in, and they didn't vote with that, but... yeah, but it's, Charlie's it's been, still the... It's his baby, yeah. He's still the showrunner, yeah. isn't he, yeah. So I mean, it, would, it would be a different beast if that's the case, and yeah. whether Netflix is prepared to commit to a three shows a year kind of... I mean, I remember when, when Queer as Folk went out on Channel 4, which was three episodes... And then Kiwira's Folk was bought by America, Showtime, and they made 33 episodes of the same storyline. The team of writers. Uh, well, yeah, but it's the same story. And in, in England, they killed off one of the characters after one episode. In America, he survived. You know what I mean? They just and So it's that thing of they stretch, 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 stretch. So will this kill off what is such a good thing about Black Mirror, which is these clever little conceits mm. that by the end of the hour or the hour and a half, whatever, make you go, oh, wow. Whereas you cannot sustain when you stretch like mad and... All those kind of very tightly crafted. Or would bits. it be a series of sort of event movies like the Christmas special, where it's, it's just a, a bigger scale version mm. of what they've done before? But there's some confusion over the rights, isn't there? I mean, there or, is. Or, yeah. You know, first I thought well, perhaps Channel Four will do like they did with Humans, and they'll do a co-pro deal, and we'll have it. We'll, we'll run it first over here, then Netflix will have it in the US. But it's, it's not clear cut at present. Who well, will show Channel, first 4, over Channel here? Four. Well, sources close to Channel Four say that they still have a first option to take new episodes in the UK. And that would include if the show was made specifically for America. Yeah. And the, the the thought is that Netflix would find it difficult to carry uh, Black Mirror in the UK because of the agreement that Channel 4 has in place. Mm. So, But then would it become an American show with an American cast? I mean, it. Netflix aren't necessarily a UK-specific channel. They're, to me, they're very much an American channel that happened to you know, that broadcast in Britain. And Black Mirror did really well in America, critically. You know, So to me, it's an American acquisition or whatever it is, and we'll probably see it whenever. So I'm sure this this kind of rights issue will be cleared up sooner, you know. Mm. Let's hope we can put it off. And it's just another sign, I guess, of the growing influence of, uh, of digital platforms like Netflix well, and Amazon. And uh, Is Apple the next one? You know, yesterday well, they talked yeah. about Apple TV and it's going to be, you know, am I going to be going down to the Genius Bar to, to pitch my shows from now on? It's like... That seems to be the future. I mean, the idea that these huge content sort of providers are, are now looking for business is fantastic. But, you know, 
you know, I've already had a few ideas and thought, oh, I could maybe get that on Netflix. And I'm like, I don't know where to go. I don't know where, because, so it still feels very near. It still feels like it's high price drama and nothing else. Mm. It's like, what is that next bit? Because there's a well, huge there, market yeah, some, waiting. Well, there's some natural history blue chip stuff, isn't there, as well, on some of these platforms. That's right. That's, yeah, that's, that's, the, that's of the next deal. stage, sort of big, glossy documentaries. Yeah, when are Netflix going to do daytime TV? That's what I want to know. <laughs> maybe big Blue UK on... on. <laughs> Netflix. Maybe Netflix is going to, you know, sustain Dom Littlewood's career beyond. Now that collection. I would watch, Netflix can revive Dom Littlewood's career. <laughs> uh, that, that's your news for this episode. Thanks to Stephen and Robin. Uh, right then, straight on with some previews. Stephen and Robin are still with me, uh, but I've got the remote. And first on the agenda is Frontline Fighting, the Brits battling ISIS. Uh, filmed by three former soldiers, Channel 4's documentary follows British men who have decided to take justice into their own hands by volunteering to battle ISIS militants in Syria. The film is produced by Amos Pictures. And in this clip, two new recruits describe how they came to leave Britain. Left to go to Gatwick. I was actually sat at McDonald's. Two guys in suits just rocked up to the entrance. They sort of tried to talk me out of it a bit, saying, you know, shit, like, have I written a will and things like that. I was the only, like, non-curl on a flight. And I waited outside the airport for about five minutes, and then the contact showed up with a picture of me, and then I went on to the safe house, and that was the beginning of the journey. My route in was through Facebook. And I arranged to fly to Suleimani Airport, which is in Iraq. And got into this safe house, and the first person I see is a young lad from Bournemouth in jogging bottoms, sitting on a settee. Which, uh, you know, kind of took the exoticism out of it. Uh, gents, this is pretty powerful stuff, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, really good. Incredible. Incredible film. I mean, it, it, it you know, it, it so took you into it without the usual army bollocks. And... I just found it incredible. I mean, I watched it sort of, I couldn't look away, really. Mm. And, um, yeah, powerful and and, uh, and intimate. It was a very difficult uh, thing to, to, to film. I mean, almost impossible to film, and yet they did it. It's incredible to see. I like the sort of the conflicting emotions it conveyed. I mean, in many ways, they were repeatedly said in different variations, there was a mixture of sort of being excited and being scared or being shocked and being thrilled or whatever. And I think yeah, that really came mm. across, you know, they want to do good. There's a certain sort of sense of excitement to it. You know, they're, they're not shying away from that. It's not a word. I mean, you totally understood it what it is to be, you know, fighting. Uh, and, sh- and, you know, when, when bullets are going off and, oh, someone's got shot over there and the sort of casualness mm. and the, the that thing of any second now I could be killed just I mean, that felt very real didn't it, it? It, it really did it, i was going to say it blew me away but it might be bad taste to say it, but it it was such an incredible intimate filming style i mean that's what's so remarkable about this film who was filming it how did they film it how did they not get their heads blown off with cameras i mean you know i was trying to work out what was happening from a sort of technical perspective because you were so in the action uh, now, obviously, some of them had GoPros on and things like that. You could see when people were running and things. But there was other shots that obviously were a camera. Somebody had stood there with a camera and, you know, bullets are going off and explosions. And, oh, we'll just call the Americans and they'll bomb the place. And It was and it, I, it was shot in such a way that, you know, you were, it was visceral and you were in there, but it wasn't, you know, headache-inducing to watch. They had that no, fluidity to it. It, it, no, it felt it like a documentary yeah. uh, that was, you know, that just happened to be... You know, it felt like there was a crew there running along with them, which they obviously were because... 
that's what happens. And great casting as well. I mean, these were oh, not yeah. three brutish, mindless, it, yeah, it wasn't mindless yeah. Brits, were they? They were articulate D- young D- men, D- weren't they? Yeah, definitely. And some of the mundanity of it, like the, 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 the quote that we just heard, you know, just just normal, you know, normalised it mm. rather than exoticised it, if you like. Yeah. I um, think that's what really. I mean, because you read so much about ISIS and the war, and you start to become a bit snowblind by it, and this just stripped all that away and made it really simple. You know, these people are fighting against evil. That's what they believe. Mm. And all the sort of the the life-affirming qualities of that. And then you see the sort of the prosaic nature and then the casualness. And and then you think they're going to die for nothing in, you know, over a few rocks in the middle of nowhere. It, it, you know, I I thought thought it was really powerful. And And the last few shots of the documentary where they showed the other members of the team were just incredible. I mean, that really did sort of stun me stick with it to the end it's uh, and it is sort of nail-biting i mean it it, it is the sort of the, the you know these this isn't a fantastic adventure it's a sort of gritty ugly uh dull almost thing to do in a in a in a middle of nowhere and yet this is going on that's what's so remarkable about it, it showed you the sort of ordinariness uh, uh, and the banality of of what is a, a kind of skirmish or a whatever do we do? I mean, my one thought was: was it a little, maybe a tiny bit sanitized? Uh, we didn't see anyone getting injured directly. Or I don't, hurt. There was we didn't a, see the bombing directly either. Well, uh, I don't know about that. I mean, there was a bit where they they arrested a local, and I thought we we're going to see somebody get beheaded now, and it was just the horror that came upon me watching it because I thought we're going to see this now. Now, luckily, it didn't happen, but the threat was there. And that's what's sort of remarkable. One minute they're joking and laughing and we're watching these incredible Kurdish women dancing and I love the Kurds, you know. And they're really going for it. And the next thing is you suddenly see that undercurrent of violence that's just about to... And it's sort of that thing, that that actually was, I thought, was very powerful. Um, Rather than the sort of Second World War style, oh, and I'll throw a grenade type thing. It, it was that, it was the banality that was more powerful than the, the action. Do you know what I mean? I thought it went above and beyond what you might expect for for this as a pitch, you know. Yes, the focus was on these guys, and they were very articulate, did lots of pieces to camera, but it wasn't exoticising. You you had lots of pieces to camera and interviews with the people they're with, you know, mm. so you, you got a sense of how how they all work together. It's not just white guys from Britain. No, absolutely not. I mean, so, well, I thought that was very it, sensitively handled. It made me realise why people do it, and it made me realise how it works. It You know, that it, it conveyed that... Which hasn't been on TV, I think, for a while. The the idea of that kind of the glamour of oh, I'll go and fight for my beliefs, um, and you saw the sort of the the the, the you know the, the the gun jamming and the you know it just all all the little things that you you know you see and 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 then suddenly someone's shot and oh, there's someone else who's shot and and it was just it, it, I I just thought it was remarkable and yeah. really powerful telly in its simplicity. Feels like it's going to be in the mix come awards season, doesn't it? Definitely, yes. I, I don't know what to. Slot channel for give it my worries. It might they might show it in a you know quarter past eleven kind of. Well, slot. that's the thing. It sh- this should be shown at nine Prime o'clock. Time, I mean, yeah. it really should, and 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 people should watch it because it completely uh, felt fresh to me. It didn't it it didn't feel like an old story being retold. It felt like the first time I'd seen this, and really got to understand what's what why the you know the Kurds are doing and because you don't see that on the news. You yeah, don't see anything like this? On well, the there's news. a press screening this week, so Channel Four clearly is getting behind it in some way. And they believe in the film, so hopefully they'll give it a, a good billing. Um, Frontline Fighting, the Brits battling ISIS, airs on the 16th of September.
Uh, last but not least, it's over to Watch, which is warming up its vocal cords for singing in the rainforest. Uh, the five-part Gogglebox Entertainment series sends pop stars to live with tribes in remote corners of the planet. Uh, at the end of a week in the wilderness, they collaborate with their hosts to create and perform a piece of music. In the first episode, Mining Class heads to the Pacific island of Mogmog, and in this clip, she talks to locals about the differences she's encountered. In the country that I live in, where I'm from, we, we have got a funny attitude to, well, we say boobs. Uh. We, we've got a funny, <laughs> atti- we've got a really funny attitude to it all, because we all get really, like, prudish about it. <laughs> or we go and inflate them and make them bigger. <laughs> okay. Why would any woman want to, like, do a, what, boob job? <laughs> <laughs> Why not just be happy with what God gave them, right? So I went straight from the ISIS documentary to this. Yeah. And there is quite the quite a contrast. You know, they're, they're both gritty watches. Yeah, quite a contrast. The thing about this felt it felt slightly underwhelming to me, this, this episode. The idea is brilliant. I think the idea is a great idea. But the I- island of Mogmog, uh, where they all speak perfect American English... And Myling Class just felt a bit sort of sanitised and... It felt and, very sanitised. And it was like, yeah. is this really a, a fish out of water? It, it doesn't look like that. I mean, the next episode, you know, with the Happy Mondays in a jungle, should have been the first episode. I don't know why they went with Myling first, because it feels very soft in comparison to the other episodes. The other episodes feel like they really are groundbreaking and documentary and it really is a bit of ethnic, you know, ethnography and, and music and, and, you know... But the Myling thing, you know, I didn't believe the girl when she said, I've never heard a piano before. It's like, well, if if you've grown up in a school in Guam, you've heard a piano, you've watched telly. You know what I mean? That it felt that that was such an odd casting decision to use an island which was so perfectly sort of Disney-fied. I don't know if I'm being a pain in the ass here. No, I think you're right, actually. It did feel, it, it felt odd. It that's didn't feel as she's, didn't the, feel she's the most make, she's the most sort of mainstream name, but that's why they just started with her. Yeah, but, yes. it, but to so, me, it negates the idea. You know, hmm. I mean, by saying it's like saying we're going to send Mylene on the Eurostar to Paris. You know, it's not that foreign. It's not that exotic. You know, they, everyone spoke perfect English. They did. The women didn't wear bras, and Mylene got bitten by mosquitoes. That's your spoiler alert. I've just ruined <laughs> the whole show for you. It's you know, it's not that it's a rubbish program. The program is good, but it didn't feel as gritty. It didn't feel, it doesn't feel so at all gritty. fish out of water. I mean, it, it just, that's what, it failed on that respect. Editorially, it failed because they cast someone who's a bit so what in an island where you don't think it's so exotic. I mean, it was a very odd decision for the channel to run with that first um, because the, the Happy Mondays trail at the end of the first episode looks amazing. Episode two looks like it's going to be, you know, fantastic telly yeah. gold. So, I, Robin, by accident or by design, you, you watched the Happy Mondays I episode. did. Well, you didn't brief me as to which one to watch, although I'll, I'll watch the one I want to watch. Um, yes, this should have been episode one. It's, I mean, it's not gritty by any means, but it is fun. There's a sense of, a, a, an extra sense of sort of jeopardy or drama, in it, if you like, because the band haven't written anything together in 21 years. Mm. So you've got this sort of shambolic band still on the live touring circuit, but yeah, they haven't actually written anything together. And they're great characters anyway. Uh, and but that in itself is a, a bit of a treat, to yeah, have cameras following exactly. them, creating and their first the, song for 21 exactly. years. Exactly, and um, they go on and they perform um, Kinky Afro, 
they find basically the tribe's own Bez, who just joins in with Bez with the dancing. And that in itself is hilarious. And Bez is just absolutely loving it. The fact that their songs are, you know, not standard guitar and drums. There's a certain sort of different sort of odd rhythms to them anyway. And it's quite interesting sort of, you know, they're quite individual, slightly nonsensical lyrics to us. But when they play to this tribe, they're all singing the yippee, yippee, yay, yay, yay. They love that because mm. they've got a hook to they get into and they're all dancing to it. And then you've got Ruetta, the singer, the female singer with the band, perhaps getting into more of the more sort of spiritual side of, of, of the, the style of singing on the island. So she's there by the river singing Change Has Got to Come to Them and they're doing a chorus back to her. And they've not, they don't really hear people sing individually. They, they perform as collected mm. as choirs. So you've got that kind of joint, this, this joint discovery. Amazing. between the Yeah, the band. so the Mylene class episode. This sounds incredible. There was no real... You know, the the song was there was no real cohesion in what they were doing. Mylene played a bit of piano, then they sang. I know, then it, she played it, a bit more the, piano. The, the the actual music uh, ensemble was a was a terrible letdown because it it did feel like Mylene was just accompanying them rather than writing with them. I, did, I saw no sign of a fusion. Whereas you know what you're saying, Robin, it sounds incredible. And I think on paper, even before you say, you can imagine a fusion because they do, they are open to a variety of influences. Mm. So it works in that sense. And were the tribes speaking English? A bit, yes, a bit. So they're not, not. Doesn't sound like it. It's a, I mean, I, you know, I don't know. I, I, to me, this is such a good idea that they should have just gone a little bit further. They should have, you know, as long as they're not going to get killed by poison arrow frogs or whatever, or, or eaten in the pot, they they should have gone to tribes where you had to have an interpreter. You know, this is what a BBC Two version yeah. would have done, and I think the audience would have gone with it because the idea is so good. Music is an international language. You know, they, they you know they are genuinely. Uh, sort of, you know, sharing uh, whatever lifestyles and views and things that would have worked brilliantly. And maybe the next series, if they do a second series, they can be a little bit braver. There's a, there's a piece in broadcast this week about it. Uh, they do talk about how frustrating it was to actually find people willing to do it. And that, that there was clearly in the development stage quite quite a challenge to actually get people to agree. And the first ones to agree were Glas Vegas, hardly a household name. Um, but they say apparently they they thought it was a bit of a joke and a bit of a laugh, so they went for it and whatever comes out of it. And I think Happy Mondays are the, are the right kind of band for this be, just because they're fun telly anyway and they clearly don't really give a fuck. Do you know what I mean? They're just, so they're up for it. But I'm also talking about the, the villagers, the Indians and the, the Amazonians or whatever. It's, those need to be better cast as well. Okay. So maybe watch the second episode first. Uh, but seeing the Rainforest debuts on the 14th of September on Watch. Uh, so that's it. The curtain must fall on this particular edition of Talking TV. Thanks to my guests, Stephen D. Wright and Robin Parker. Can't wait two weeks for our next episode. Why don't you check out our back catalogue and subscribe to us on iTunes. For now, though, I'm Jake Cantor and the producer was Matt Hill. Goodbye. You've been listening to Broadcast. Talking TV. Recorded at Maple Street Studios. 